Hi guys, welcome, welcome. We have today another episode of the Soul Sanctuary podcast. With this episode, we are now at 13. This is episode 13. And we are talking about evaluating love. So before we dive deep into this topic, oh my gosh, I know this is going to be a very difficult topic for many people. Um, <clears throat> part of the difficulty stems from the type of experiences we've had in life, right? And these experiences have really just shaped the way we see the world, the way we interact with other people. So I want to ask you guys a question before we dive really, really deep. When did your life change for the better? I know that love, at least the generalized concepts of love, uh, they affect our life tremendously. They affect the quality of our life tremendously. So please do share, when did your life change for the better? At what point did you feel even just a little bit more comfortable in your skin as yourself? At what point did you begin to question, like, why, why is this all I have? Why is the love that I receive from people? Um, why is it the way it is? I know for me personally, sorry, I know for me personally, my life changed when I began to understand that I struggle to receive love from other people, I struggled tremendously <laughs> with feeling worthy of the love of other people. And when I came to that realization, gosh, it was so eye-opening because it was like, why, why don't I deserve that? Why would I feel like that's not for me. I see eBunny on Facebook, uh, on YouTube says, just recently, within a few months. Ooh, eBunny, how does it feel? How does it feel to finally begin allowing yourself to step into a, a more comfortable, more loving space within your thoughts? How does that feel for you? I see Moonrock says, when I started listening to myself instead of other people, but that didn't mean that life got easier, but it was a lot more peaceful. Yes, that's one of the things that I realized as well when my life began changing for the better. It's not necessarily that it became more peaceful, and that's why it changed. The peace came after I decided to allow the change to occur. Ooh, that's how powerful we are. The moment we give permission for change to occur, change actually happens. It's highly contingent on us, 
on how we allow that to come in or how we reject it. Alexandra says, after I started listening to Emmy, thank you. <laughs> she says, I struggle to receive love too. I find that when we create an environment that makes us feel as though it's okay for us to be ourselves, that we don't have some type of pathology, diseased mind, diseased thinking, um, diseased existence. When we can enter into a space either inside ourselves or a more externalized space with other people, it becomes this beautiful thing of now we're giving ourselves permission to change, to grow, to allow more love in. Uh, Gaze says, tough question. The questioning time started after 2012, took root in 2017. The love question is shelved for now. And that's a powerful place to be where you are aware that you are consciously choosing to delay this inevitable knowing, learning. That's not a place of weakness. It is a place of avoidance, but... <laughs> I get it. I get it. I'm a, I'm an avoider. So I totally get it. It's hard to force yourself into a place of introspection if you're not comfortable. And for quite a few of us, um, it takes us a while to get comfortable. It takes us a while to allow ourselves to give permission for us to process life. Um, Sherry says, I struggle daily with this. I still become triggered when a loved one says or does something out of line. I'm in the stage of it's easier. I'm in the stage of it's easier to love from afar. Hey, that's still a form of love, is it not? That is still a form of love. And I think Sherry's comment really brings home what we're going to talk about today. This need for evaluating love. So today's Today's topic is evaluating love. I mean, what is what is our definition of love to begin with? What how do we define love? And I had to make sure, oh, I I deleted it. <laughs> Let me put it back on the screen for me. <laughs> um love is defined by the Oxford dictionary as an intense feeling of deep affection a great interest and pleasure in something. Mm -hmm. Feel deep affection for someone, like or enjoy very much. Mm-hmm. Mm -hmm. This is something that we overly complicate. This is something that we turn into almost like an obligatory thing where now we are obligated to live in specific ways. We are obligated to do specific things uh, for many empathic people, which most of you are. Uh, we feel obligated to play the martyr for other people. And you're not obligated for that. That's not love. That's just not love. Okay. It is not love. It is something that causes us that, that sense of obligation. It is something that causes us to, to fracture and go deeper and deeper into this space of avoidance, this space of, you know, hurt, 
this space of why am I not enough, it causes us to further amplify the very distorted beliefs that cause us to feel, think, exist as though we are not worthy of love. To feel this, to think this, does that make you actually unworthy of love? No, no. Let's look at the four types of love. So there's four types. Eros, which is the erotic, passionate love. How many of us have felt eros, erotic, right? Uh, philia, love of friends and equals. It's funny, but not so funny, that philia is a love of friends and equals. So friends are supposed to be your equal. If it is a healthy love between friends, you give equally. It's not one person giving more than the other. It's not one feeling more obligated to take care of the other. It's a mutual give and take. It's a very beautiful, very balanced thing. Storgi, love of parents for children. I think for many of us, we confuse and merge together Storgi, Philia, and Eros. We try and treat people as though they're our children and have love for them as though they are children, while also trying to force them to be our equal, philia. And then tossing in this very, very intense amplifier, eros. I don't know how you would be able to quantify that type of love in a healthy manner. I don't know how that could be something that is long-term, something that is healthy in the long-term. It's so important to begin defining, evaluating, and then defining the type of love that flows between you and another person. Now, you might have a type of love for a person that they don't have for you. Maybe you have an eros-based love, something that is passionate, erotic-type love for a person, yet the love they have for you is storgy. They love you like you're their child. That's going to create a lot of imbalance. That's going to create a lot, lot, lot of issues between the two of you. It's going to cause a power dynamic that is extremely unhealthy, extremely unhealthy. And it's just something that creates more pain. Now, the fourth type of love is agape, love of mankind. That's a beautiful type of love. Where in your eyes, everyone is deserving of love. Just love. You exist, therefore you deserve love. You are entitled to love. Not any type of erotic love. Not necessarily a friendship type love. Maybe they don't see you as a child or love you as a parent. It's just this omni-love that exists. A love that has no... Um, no prerequisites, no expectations, just a viewing of you as a celestial being having a human experience and having love for you in that way.
Sherry says, I personally feel that love is a feeling of peace and comfort within ourselves. Love is my happiness within myself. Ooh, I love that. For me personally, my definition of love is to see you as a reflection of me and to treat you as tenderly as I wish I could treat myself, to regard you in that way with that type of consideration. Love is something that is so, so far removed for me from the human definitions of love. I like to think that the type of love I have is an omni-love. Omni. In all directions, in all ways and levels. Omni-love ties into celestial love and we'll, we'll talk about that a little bit later in this show. But love is something that we get so bent out of shape over, just so twisted and bent out of shape. And it's a concept that when it's run through the human perception, it becomes something so much less profound, something that ties more into ownership. You're my friend. You're my lover. And when we begin to evaluate love and we begin to enter into a healthy, a very healthy love, we begin to see love has nothing to do with ownership, nothing at all. It has nothing to do with the behaviors of um, wanting a friend to only talk to you, wanting a lover to only interact with you, no one else. You are mine. You are this. You are that. All of these stipulations that maybe are spoken out loud, maybe they're not. And when they're not spoken out loud, it makes it even harder to understand. It makes it even more difficult to process, to quantify. And I'm wondering if, um, I mean, do, do we need do we need to quantify this love? Do we need to? Or do we need to simply assess where we're at within our journey, our understanding of that love, right? Do, do we need to just assess that? Not about the other person, but about ourselves. I'm really at a point where I believe the evaluation of love is an internal thing. The way I show love to you might not be received very well by you. It might be something that you find yourself being very averse to. Because for me, the truth of love is showing you the truth of what I see. Not necessarily calling you out on things, but being very honest in my communication. I feel like in the world we live in, we're not honest enough. We're just, we're not honest enough with each other, with ourselves. And we tiptoe around and we keep truth as we see it from being expressed as it's needed. Again, this is not about calling people out all day, all night. No, this is about having the courage to speak the truth when it is the most necessary, 
I can always tell when someone really loves me. They can tell me the truth when I need to hear it the most. One of my friends, um, I had gone through something recently and I was very upset. I was very hurt. Um, and you would think that, you know, a, a, a good friend, quote unquote, good friend is someone who would just be like, oh, no, you, no, girl, you're not wrong at all. <laughs> you're not wrong at all. Oh, my God, I cannot believe that. Why would they do that? Oh, my gosh, you don't deserve that. No. Mm -mm. This is a real friend. A very cherished friend and very gentle in their sharing of, okay, I'm seeing patterns. I, I see that a pattern has just occurred. This is a pattern that, that you've had with, you know, within the past, how many years you've, you've, I've seen this happen to you a couple times and I'm not trying to hurt your feelings, but we need to begin identifying what's actually going on basically. And for me, it was not this thing of, oh my gosh, I, I can't believe you're criticizing me when I'm already feeling very low. No, I didn't feel it was a criticizing moment at all. I, I didn't feel criticized. I felt loved. I felt like, oh my gosh. So she sees it too. And she spent a long while just being honest with me. We were communicating for a long while and she was just being very, very honest with me and pointing out the things that she sees, offering potential ways to overcome the struggles, the personal struggles that I've had and the struggles that I'm currently having. And it was so empowering. Like I was prepared to shut down. But because she was able to be honest with me and hold space with me in a very genuine, very honest, very loving way with no criticism, just a sharing of the reality as she's witnessed it unfold, um, it negated a lot of my feelings of I need to hide. I need to just be away from everybody. I need to protect myself and build bigger walls, taller, thicker, more expansive, protective walls that eventually would become, you know, my internal prison, of course. Um, that's what happens when you build walls. If you're not aware of what you're doing, that's what you're going to end up doing. So this love that I experienced from a genuine friend ended up being the very thing that leveled me up to another level of dimensional consciousness. Another layer of my learning was taking place and it's been taking place. The juxtaposition between a genuine friend and a toxic one. Oh my gosh. Where it's just like, you know, I have to hold myself accountable for the types of connections that I have sustained and maintained and chosen to value without evaluating whether or not that needed to be valued. You know, it has nothing to do with a person's worth. I want to make that very, very clear. Just because I don't value you as a friend anymore does not mean you have no value. It means I've now identified you as very unhealthy for me. 
that is a form of self-love. There is nothing disrespectful about that realization. Part of our evaluating the love that we project onto other people involves evaluating the love we withhold from ourselves. That is such a powerful realization that I came to. The evaluation of the love I project onto other people must be juxtapositioned with the love I withhold from myself because I realize as an empath, so many of us seek other people to love because it would justify the lack of love we give to ourselves. So we seek out the very people who are the reflections of the parts of us we are afraid to love. At one point in my life, a long, long time ago, I was passive aggressive. I realize now one of the friendships that I used to have, I had because it was a reflection of the passive aggressive nature that I was connected to my mother. I love my mom. I learned to appreciate her as an individual beyond just unconditionally loving her as my mother. Towards the end of her life, I learned to appreciate her as a woman, a standalone woman, not as my mother, but as a woman. And I began to see the ways in which she learned toxic love. And now, a couple years after her passing, all of the things that I was able to suspend and not process so that I could care for her at the end stages of her life. It's something that played out in a different relationship with a person that I guess I began to view as a mother figure for me. And here's the thing. It's just as toxic. It just took longer to see. Does that make me a bad person? Does that make them a bad person? Does it make my mother a bad person? I don't see anything bad in it. When you're able to evaluate love and your love connections with people from a neutral place of observation, you begin to see exactly how things are working out, what it is you're needing to assess about yourself, about your life. So. We talked about the four types of love. There's three stages of love. There's four types, three stages. These are all general terms, of course, right? So stage one, lust. Might be a sexual type of lust. Might be a different type of lust. Let's define lust first and foremost. <laughs> define lust. Okay. According to the Oxford Dictionary, it says a very strong sexual desire, a passionate desire for something, a sensual appetite regarded as sinful. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So one of the adjectives, excuse me not adjectives, <laughs> one of the words that you can replace 
lust with is crave. It's a strong desire for something. Do you crave a deep friendship? Do you crave a relationship with a father figure? Do you crave a relationship with a mother figure? Do you crave to be accepted at any cost to you? And these are the very things that cause us to be drawn to people from the start. From the start. We have a craving that's being unmet, unrealized. When you see lust as a type of craving, and then you sprinkle in there what happens during pregnancy because you're in a process of rebirth, right? So we'll make the analogy with pregnancy. When you are pregnant, pregnancy is known to cause cravings. Everyone knows this, right? Whether you've been pregnant before or not, it's just this widely known thing. Oh, pregnant people crave weird things. They just crave things. Well, here's the thing. Whatever you crave is what you're lacking. Whatever you crave is what you are lacking. If you are craving any type of food, whether you're pregnant or not, I want you to look up what that food is rich in. My body has this weird quirk where I have a very questionable relationship with copper. <laughs> I either have too much of it or I am severely deficient. And for a long period, I had too much copper. And if you look up the symptoms of too much copper, um, I was craving chocolate like crazy, <laughs> like crazy. And when I rebalanced my copper, I completely stopped craving chocolate. So I stopped eating avocados and things like that, like in large quantities, because I was doing that. And several weeks back, maybe a month or two back, I noticed, oh my gosh, I'm so craving all sorts of nuts, especially cashews. I look what it's rich in. Copper. <laughs> Copper. So you crave the things that your body is lacking. When you are in the process of rebirthing yourself, you will crave the things, the energies, the feelings that you are lacking. If you are lacking the experience of a healthy, loving mother or father figure, a parental figure in your life, you'll probably seek it out in other people. If you look at social media right now, there's this, I guess you could call it a movement. Um, a lot of the younger people are posting about being a sugar baby, right? They're getting this love and attention from someone much older. They frame it as like being given free money. But in reality, you look at the reality of that. Are you struggling in life because you didn't receive the love? from a parental figure. I was talking in my private chat with my ministry members. If you'd like to be part of those private conversations, you can join at the soulsanctuary.love. Go to the soulsanctuary.love. I'm going to be talking with my folks uh, at the end of this live stream. So in about 
an hour, 15 minutes, I'll be hopping over there. But if you'd like to be part of that conversation, just look at the ticker below and you'll see the soul sanctuary.love. You can join there. So I was talking to my private ministry group. Oh, and by the way, um, that's a recurring contribution. That's not a membership. And because I'm a recognized ministry at this point, that's a tax deductible expense for you. Your monthly recurring contribution for the soul sanctuary.love is a tax deductible expense. So going back to what I was saying, um, I was speaking with my, my sanctuary people and I was talking about how like, I'm not sure if I'm being the best mom I possibly can be. Not that I'm a bad mom, but I could always be a better mom. And part of that has to do with, you know, my oldest son lives with me. Okay. He lives with me and my husband, he lives with us. We're a family. He's an adult, but he lives with us. And I don't ask him to pay any rent. I don't ask him to pay for his car. I don't ask him to pay for anything. Because I feel like as a parent, if I'm capable of providing for you, I'm going to provide for you. I don't care what your age is. That's, that's a part of my culture. And I began to think about it. And it's like, am I hindering his growth by doing that? Am I the reason he's not having as much creativity as I know he's capable of? Should I become more harsh and like, hey, if you're going to live at home, you need to pay rent. You need to work a nine to five job. You need to pay for your car. You need to pay for insurance. How most parents would do. And it's like, you know, will that lead to him reaching elevated levels of success? And then I thought about it and I was like, but do I want my son to succeed because he wasn't supported? Or do I want him to succeed because my husband and I are on his side and he feels supported and maybe this is just a little bit of um, creative block and I should not involve myself in his process as a creative, a professional creative, and I should just ask if there's ways in which I can be more supportive rather than forcing I don't think he's going to need to be a sugar baby. <laughs> I don't think he's going to have that need. I don't think he's going to seek that out. I think he's getting everything he needs from his parents, the love and the support and the space to grow, the space to become his own person, which he's very much his own person. Um, part of the love that we share as a family, we're together a lot, a lot. Most of the day, regardless of how big or how small our dwelling is, we pretty much all stay in the same room and we love each other's company. I remember not so long ago, my son was talking to me about how um, his friends are going to move in together or maybe, I don't know if it was his cousin asking him to move out with him. And I was like, it's up to you, you know, if, if, if you're ready for that. Okay, we're, we're definitely going to miss you. But yeah, no, whatever you decide for you. And I was shocked because he was like, I actually like my family. <laughs> I'm like, it, no. It, <laughs> okay, so yes, many people 
will move out because they don't get along with their parents. They don't get along with their family. And so they move out. When you are ready and you want to experience a type of independence that you can't have here because we're always together, then that's fine too. The type of love we seek from other people stems from the type of love we never received. The type of love that we're afraid of is a type of love that could absolutely heal us in ways that just, wow, wow. I remember um, way back when, when my husband and I were first dating, a lot of the issues we had was he was getting frustrated because he couldn't understand why I couldn't allow myself to receive love. I would not allow him to buy me anything. I did not want him to pay for my meals. I Like, no, I'm good. <laughs> I'm good. And that had a lot to do with the type of love I received. Early childhood, adolescence, love always came with strings. It was this thing of, I bought you that. So now you have to do what I say. No, thank you. <laughs> You know, no, thank you. And this, Alexandra, that's a, that's a show of beautiful, beautiful love. That's a show of an amazing love between you and your son, Alexandra. She says, the hardest thing I've had to do is ask my son to help with rent. I'm very lucky, very, very, very blessed in that I haven't had to do that yet. Um, you know, I haven't had to. So... I'm very blessed in that. But that's not to say that my son has never offered to help with this and that and all these things. And I'm like, why are you stressing? We're not asking you to do this or do that or help with this and that. The way we love, the way our children end up loving us can sometimes, not always, but it can sometimes be indicative of the type of healthy love we've been able to give them. Now, if your son was helping you with rent, that shows you how much he loves and cares for you. It's a mutual thing. And that is very beautiful. Very, very beautiful for him to want to be able to take care of you the way you've taken care of him when he couldn't take care of himself. That's a very beautiful thing. Okay. Thank you for sharing that, Alexandra. Sherry says, beautiful way of seeing your family dynamic. I felt the success of my parenting would eventually be known when my daughter became a mother. I am one proud mama. Yes, yes, <laughs> absolutely, absolutely. You know, when, when my sons begin to have their own families, when they begin having their own families, I'm going to see exactly how I raise them because they're going to go and raise their children in that way as well. And I feel like they're going to make me very proud, very, very proud. I've really gone out of my way to make sure that they had the parenting I didn't have. That's not to say I had bad parents. Okay. That is not to say that I had bad parents. That is to say I learned from the lack there's two ways to learn how to love, either from the lack of love or from the abundance of it. You're either going to choose to do the polar opposite of what you received, what you endured, or you're going to replicate it because it was such a beautiful thing. 
You loved it. You loved that type of connection you had. But you won't know until you begin evaluating your love. Okay? Yes, this is important. Alexandra says, I'm very close to my three kids. I'm a proud mama. You should be. You absolutely should be. Absolutely should be. Queen of Hearts says, not having the financial burdens from society allows a potential to excellence for our children. Yeah. And, you know, a lot of what society teaches us for that um, storgy love, the love of parents for children, is that you are spoiling your child. You are ruining your child by loving them in the way that you recognize they need to be loved. That's not spoiling. Like I bought my son a car and I bought him a car that I knew is reliable. I know the reliability of this brand of car. And um, I know that had he bought his own car, he would have bought something different, something more reasonable. But see, here's the thing. As part of my love for him, I want to make sure that when he's driving long distances for his work events, um, that he's safe. I want to know that he's going to be very, very safe. So I bought the same car, the same brand of car that protected my mom in a huge car accident. She was rear-ended at 70 miles per hour. She was at a complete stop on the freeway. She got hit rear-ended so hard that the rims broke off of the axles. They broke off. The center of the rim was still attached to the car, and the wheels all broke off. <laughs> That's how hard she was hit. Car was totaled. She had a little, a few bruises. It deployed all the airbags. She had only a few bruises. That's right. I'm going to spend for my son to have that type of safety when he is driving. Hell yeah. Hell yeah. Is it me spoiling him? No. That's a need. If he's going to drive to different states for work events, that is a need. That is a necessity. Are you kidding me? <laughs> you know, because some people would be like, oh my gosh, you got him that car for his first car. You're spoiling him. There's nothing spoiled about my son. There's nothing spoiled about any of my kids. At all. At all. We'll go to the store and we'll ask them, you guys want to get toys or whatever? And for the most part, I'm like, no. Is, is today a special day? And like, no. Just We haven't got you toys or stuff for a while. Do you want something? And pick something. What, what kind of budget do I have for a toy? <laughs> you know, that's not a spoiled kid. They're taking into consideration, like, what is, what is manageable for you? <laughs> you know, uh-uh, you should love people in the way that you love, so long as the way you love is healthy. I'm not buying their affection. They know that. If I'm going to show you affection, it's not going to be a material thing. If I get you a material thing, it's because I want to get you a material thing. It has nothing to do with the amount of love that I have for you. When you apply this in the romantic relationships that you have, 
are you mistaking material acquisitions for love? Because that's transactional. That's not a heart-based thing. That's not a soul-based connection. And I think a lot of us suffer and struggle through this, this whole romantic scene, because we have so greatly confused transactional connections with love. Let's take a look at the next thing I wanted to talk about. Celestial versus human love. What are your guys' thoughts on celestial love and human love? How are they different? How are they the same? First, we already know what human love is. We all have um, certain ah, certain ideas of what human love is, right? I mean, that's that's pretty much we know what human love is. <laughs> what is your thought on celestial love? How would you define it? What what makes love a celestial love? What makes love celestial? So for many of us, we've been caught up in absolutely bamboozled. <laughs> we've been bamboozled with this whole concept of soulmates, twin flames, twin rays, soul connections. You know, that, that's a type of romantic love that we seek out at this point, right? It's very, very commonplace. Uh, we have Machine Gun Kelly talking about how Megan Fox is his twin flame. And that's why they're going to be together forever. Made her, um, I think, an engagement ring that is going to actually injure her finger if she takes it off. That's how it's designed. That's just, I don't know. <laughs> I don't know that that's celestial love. I don't know that that's celestial love. Yeah, I don't think that that's celestial love at all. It's an ownership, an ownership. So if that's not celestial love, come on, guys, share me your thoughts. What do you think celestial love is? Um, for a specific individual, I found someone who, or I came across someone who... I identified as having some very intense, very profound type of soul connection to my own soul. Now, I'm married. <clears throat> That's no secret. Y'all know this. <laughs> I'm married. I've been married for a very long time, a very long time. And so... With that, like that's that's not in question. <laughs> that's that that marriage is not ending anytime soon. Okay, that's not in question at all. So I come across someone who has a very intense um, soul connection with my own soul. How do I know that that's a real celestial love that's shared? Because they weren't willing to disturb the peace of my marriage. That's how I know. There was no attempt to own me. I'm sure there was irritation. <laughs> I'm sure there was irritation that um, certain expectations are probably, probably never going to be met. But there was no attempt to own me. There was no forcing. There was no hounding me. 
There was no starting issues between my husband and I. There was a respect of what already exists. My marriage existed long before I ever came across this person. And they respected that. That's a celestial love. Sherry says, love is a human emotion. Celestial love, in my opinion, is compassion and grace for all. Yes, for all involved, all involved in whatever the situation is. Celestial love does not take into consideration any type of ownership. Celestial love takes into consideration your need, your pain that might occur because of what they are doing. They take into consideration the way their actions, their decisions affect your entire life. Because it will affect your entire life. I distinctly remember, um, and, and I only spoke uh, with this twin for a few weeks, so I don't really know them very well. I don't know the human. I know the soul tremendously. The human, not so much. We didn't really interact very much. And I remember one distinct um, chat we were having, and I don't remember how the conversation started, but it was this thing of, um, and I, I think I think it had to do with them wondering, like, well, how is this supposed to play out if we're twins? Because, you know, everyone is told if you're twins, you're supposed to be in a romantic relationship. Um, and I'm kind of just like, my kids have a father. They don't, what? I don't get it. <laughs> like, I'm over here thinking this is some BFF material. <laughs> uh, and, and, and then came the question of my children. And it was just like, my children have a father. They're, he's never going to be replaced, whether I'm in my marriage or not, he's never going to be replaced. They're never going to have another father. They have an amazing father. And if we're ever not in a marriage, that doesn't negate the fact that he is an amazing father. So no, at no point will I ever look for a replacement father. And then um, I distinctly remember it was this thing of, and I don't know how the conversation progressed. I can't remember. Um, but it was this thing of, I distinctly remember the expression that they never want to be a reason that my children would be unhappy, that they wouldn't want to create an issue that would cause my children to be unhappy because they know my children are my world. My children are my world. And that celestial love is the type of love where whatever you love, their love and consideration extends to that, to that person, that thing, that situation. That's celestial love. It's a very beautiful, beautiful thing. It's a very beautiful thing. Um, celestial love, according to Catherine, hi, Catherine, celestial love is freedom to learn in whatever way you choose to grow and learn with or without them. Yes. Celestial love has nothing to do with fornication. It has nothing to do with that lust. 
It has nothing to do with that eros, the erotic portion of love. Oh, you know what? We didn't even, we didn't finish the three stages of love. So there's lust, attraction, and then attachment. First, you crave someone. And then you begin to have this attraction where it goes beyond surface level. And eventually, when there is enough invested into it, it becomes an attachment. It's a mutually beneficial attachment. The first time I saw my husband, <laughs> the first time I saw him, um, there, there was definitely a combination of a lesson attraction. There was the, that was definitely present. And as time has gone on, it became a full-blown attachment. I'm very attached to my husband, not in an unhealthy way. He has the freedom to be himself. He has the freedom to choose to be with me or not be with me. Um, you know, it, it is a human love, commingled, intermixed, beautifully blended with a celestial love. And so with that, his freedom and his well-being is always at the forefront of my desires. I want him to always feel like a whole person. Okay. Um, Flora says, I think celestial love is a connection that you know is there, but you don't try to own one or the other. Yes. Yes. There's no ownership with that. None. And, you know, going back to the whole twin flame thing, another distinct, um, like couple line chat that I remember is like, I could still be your best friend. I was so excited. <laughs> like I could tell, we could totally be BFFs, BFFs. Like it was an exciting thing for me because it's like, I, I have struggled to have a deep connection with other people. And I felt like this is it. I'm going to have my best friend for life. <laughs> so I was excited. And I really, truly meant it. Like I could truly genuinely be the bestest friend you could ever have. Like I would not be interfering with any of your relationships. I wouldn't be catty and like, oh no, you shouldn't be with that person. No, like what do you want? Like, is this person making you happy? Do you need to vent? What is it? You know? And that's another way I know that that is a celestial love. It has nothing to do with ownership. It has nothing to do with romance. It has everything to do with a genuine concern for the well-being of their soul. Celestial love is such a beautiful, beautiful thing. Human love can be similar, but it has so many limitations. So many limitations. It's this thing of ownership mixed with trying to treat you like their child, their pet. Um, human love is, is very limited in its expression. Um, it's very much about the dictating of the progression of it. Like how many of us see people who have dated for years on end and they're not yet married, they haven't been proposed to. And now we're thinking, oh girl, no, you're wasting your time. He hasn't proposed. He hasn't put a ring on it. Mm, no girl, it, you got to move on. I mean, why? 
But why would you have to move on? I would still feel the way I feel about my husband if we never got married. I, my, my goal with this man had nothing to do with marriage. It had nothing to do with marriage. I was already committed to him before there were any talks of being married. Marriage is a government thing. <laughs> and I don't believe government should be involved in that personal connection. I don't feel like I need to have a license to love this man for the rest of my life. That's like, that's absurd to me. And yes, we're married. <laughs> we're married. Yes. But that's how I feel about marriage. That's, that's the thing with human love is that unless they show their love in a way that they're told is, okay, now it's year whatever. Now you're, you're supposed to do this. Now you're supposed to do that. Like, is that really love? Is that really love? I knew that my husband was very, very different from everyone else the first time I saw him. And every experience we had from that point on further exemplified how different in the most beautiful way he is. We had been dating for maybe two months or something like that. And one of those two months, he was out of the country. <laughs> He was out of the country and this fool was calling me at like two in the morning, three in the morning with his mom on three-way because, because, um, you know, you have to get a calling card and all of that to call from a different country. And they were already on the phone with his mom and he wanted to hear my voice. <laughs> I love his mama. She co-signed everything he do. <laughs> so she's calling me on three-way at like three in the morning. And you hear her in the background on three-way. Let get off the phone with her. Let's let's get off the phone. Let her sleep. <laughs> He's like, no. And I'm just like, hi. <laughs> you know? And on top of that, when he came back. So that's like around month three, right? This man wanted to go to Lake Tahoe and get married. I'm like, no, you're crazy. I've only known you for three months. I'm not marrying you. You're crazy. But he knew something. He saw, felt, and knew something. He knew something. He was able to see and sense something that I wasn't because I was still very much entrenched in human love. Like, you no, know, we're not supposed to get married until you've been with me for at least like two years and then you can propose to me. And then we have to like both, you know, well, he already had his degree. I have to finish my college stuff and then we can like move in together. <laughs> and then, you know, it was just like this really orchestrated thing, this pre-planned thing. And that's not love. That's not love. I learned about receiving love and healing in love through his presence in my life. He has loved me through every single season and stage that I've entered into with no shaming, no guilting me, 
no making me feel like I'm not enough, no rushing me through my processes, nothing. Nothing. Just this, my arms are here if you want me to wrap them around you. You don't deserve to be treated poorly. You don't deserve to um, feel a, a sense of not being lovable. Uh, none of that. None of that. It's beautiful. And it turns out the love that I have with him is also a celestial love. This is something that's been going on for quite a few lifetimes. This is the first lifetime where we've had the opportunity to be in a very long-term relationship with children. And that's what we've wanted for so long, for so long. And it's a beautiful, beautiful thing. It's a very beautiful thing to be able to experience a healthy human love. And as that human love reaches its limits, its limitations, then kicks in the celestial love. I know I'm never going to find another man like him. I know that. I don't want to. <laughs> That's why I'm not going to. I'm never going to find another man like him because I'm never going to look for another replacement. You can't replace that and I don't want to. I don't want to. I, I have, um, what, what do you mean three minutes? Do I got a session? Is today Tuesday? <laughs> what do you mean three minutes? You're freaking me out. Hold on. Let me look at, I don't know what he's talking about. <laughs> three minutes. Okay. Anyways, let's move forward. Soul-based relationship qualities. And many of us are probably wondering, well, how do we know it's a soul-based relationship? Um, acceptance. They accept you just as you are. Unity. It's this beautiful, very natural, very organic coming together, right? is very, very organic coming together of individuals. There's, it doesn't take much effort. You're not forcing things. You're not trying to make it happen. It's just this unification. Next is understanding. The ability and willingness to go out of your way to understand each other. It's not just assumptions. It's actually trying to understand. Freedom. You have the freedom to come and go as you please. You have the freedom to be yourself. Excuse me. You have the freedom to express the truth. It is not a soul-based relationship if you can't even speak the truth to them. If you get punished for the one time you actually say something, that's not a soul-based relationship. That's a manipulation. Okay? Um, empowerment, being together empowers the two of you. And this can be a friendship too. This is not just romance. Okay. Patience. You guys have the patience to see each other through whatever stages, levels, seasons that you go through, right? Respect. You respect each other's needs and processes. There's no unspoken expectations. There's no obligatory anything. <clears throat> Next, we have the qualities of an ego-based relationship. This one 
conditions. Like you can't say certain things because you're going to hurt my feelings and then we're going to have problems. Separation. There's no coming together to that core. You can only come together to a certain degree and then they get uncomfortable and they push you away. Or it's clear that you're violating some type of boundary, you know, some type of boundary or some type of um, privacy, you know, it, it's just, there's, there's always this sense of some level of separation, blame, got to blame you. You point something out, it becomes clear that you're kind of hurting, suffering from something they're doing, saying, whatever it is. Oh, then starts the blame game. Well, you didn't tell me. Well, you this. Well, you that. How was I supposed to know? How were you supposed to know that your words were hurting me? You couldn't feel it? You couldn't feel me shutting down in your presence? You love me, but you don't love me enough to learn me? To learn all the nuances of what happens when I begin to grieve? You, but you love me? And these are things you guys got to ask these questions. You have to ask these questions. The next one is control. And this is an ego-based relationship. There's a lot of attempt to control what are they trying to control? And y'all, sometimes this control can be something that is so covert that you don't realize until everything just explodes in your face. Uh-uh. No, no, no. The whole control thing is just, oh my goodness, that can be so covert. Disempowerment. Are they saying or doing something? That you're now wondering, like, wait, wait, so do you think I'm a bad person? Am I a bad person? Is it something that's causing you to gaslight yourself? It's like, ooh, <sighs> time to reevaluate. Impatience. Are they quick to be, um, are they quick to condemn? Are they quick to be like, well, this is my decision. I don't want to wait. No, there's nothing to talk about. You know, are they impatient? Do you have the time to kind of mull over like, what just happened here? What's going on? If you're being rushed into an end result, into a decision that leads to an end result that's going to cause you more pain... Um, and they're not considering that, uh, that's probably ego-based relationship. Disrespect. This one is huge. This one is huge. What is your concept of disrespect? Let's define disrespect. <laughs> All right. Lack of respect or courtesy. Courtesy. Show a lack of respect for. Insult. Mm. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So disrespect means to lack special regard or special respect for. To have disrespect for disrespect's authority. 
to show or express disrespect or contempt for, insult. So to disregard you. That's a that's a pretty common way to disrespect. By disregarding you, your needs, the effects of their behaviors and their words. Speaking up about something is not disrespectful. Being pissed off and becoming passive aggressive because someone finally called you out, pointed out the ways in which maybe you're lackluster, maybe you're less than. And instead of taking it as, okay, wait, let's talk about this because I don't feel that about myself. What's actually going on? <clears throat> I'd say it's more disrespectful to not be able to hear someone who never complains. What do you guys think? If you have a friend or if you have a life partner that never complains about anything, right? They're always co-signing every decision you make. Uh, and then finally, one day they get very irritated and they say something like, hey, you're irritating me. Hey, you're, you're this you're, or you're that right? <clears throat> um, how would you react to that? Would you be quick to be like, well, you suck too. <laughs> well, you suck worse than me. What are you talking about? Like you're worse than me. Or would you kind of pause and be like, wait, okay. This person never complains. Am I doing something like, Hey, what's, what's actually going on? What are you, what are you saying here? Because my perception of things is far different than what you're expressing right now. Um, do we need to have a conversation? See, that's a soul-based connection. When you can pause and be like, wait, something's going on here. Someone's, I think they're going through something. Like, let me ask some questions. What, what's going on? that you are talking to me in a way that you've never spoken to me before? Are you stressed out and taking it out on me? Because I don't like that, but I mean, something's going on. I'm not sure what's going on. You need to talk to me, right? <clears throat> Sherry says, if they don't complain or agrees mostly, then the question they are asking is something important to them. Yes. <laughs> you would think that, right? I would think that like, whoa. I remember one of my girlfriends, she's a really good girlfriend of mine. I've known her. She's she's probably known me the longest of all people at this point. I remember she was telling me one day, like she got into um she got into a, a passionate conversation with someone. She's very soft and kind. And this person was really upset with her and was just yelling at her and saying all kind of nasty things to her. And it's like, oh my gosh, are you okay? And she goes, oh girl, don't even worry about it. I'm not worried about it. I was like, that's so mean. Why would they say these things to you? You're not those things. And she says to me, and I, I remember this, this was from like, 2014, 2015. Okay. <laughs> I, it, it touched me that deeply. I still remember it. She's like, girl, if someone like you said those things, then I'd be crying. I'd be like, oh my God, I'm a horrible person. And I was like, what do you mean? Cause I didn't understand it. I was like, is, is, is she, 
is she saying that I'm mean? <laughs> you know, like I couldn't understand. And she goes, no, you always speak the truth. You're very humble and you're very fair and you always just speak the truth. So if you say I'm a bitch, then I'm going to cry. And I was like, oh my God, but you're not. She goes, exactly. You don't just say things to be mean. Like you actually speak the truth. You're not mean to people. And so if you were to tell me that I was, I would absolutely believe. And I was like, I'd never call you that. And she says, exactly. So if the day ever came that you did, I know I'm out of hand and I need to fix myself. And I was like, I'd never just do that to you. And, and she was still like, you don't get it. I'm saying. And that's just, that's the thing. That's a real connection, a real friendship. I mean, we're not romantic, but <laughs> if you can have something like that in your romantic relationship, where you can see that when someone speaks up and they never speak up, okay, I have to quiet myself down and, and listen. Like my husband never tells me no. He never tells me no. This man co-signs every cockamamie idea I have, everything. I could be like, hmm, let's leave all our things and let's just like drive to South America. <laughs> He'd be like, okay, well, when do you want to leave? <laughs> He would totally do that. If I were to have an idea and he would be like, well, I mean, are you sure we should do that? I'm going to pause. To me, that's a hard no. <laughs> to me, that's him saying, no, this doesn't feel right. I'm going to pause. He didn't say no, but I'm going to pause. Why, why, why do you say it like that? Why? Why don't you want to go? Is there something wrong? What are you picking up on? What's going on? Because this is a soul-based connection. He's not disagreeing with me just for the sake of disagreeing. He's picking up on something. I trust him. He has never put me in a harmful situation. He's not going to start putting me in harmful situations now. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? He's not going to start doing that now. So I'm going to listen to him even more. And he doesn't have to say no. He doesn't have to yell. He doesn't have to do any of those things for me to be sensitive to his needs. That is a soul-based connection. It's a beautiful thing to be able to find and establish um, to be able to allow yourself to further cultivate a soul-based connection, okay? So um, a soul-based relationship review. Let's take a look at this, okay? I want you guys to do these things. I want you to reflect on your relationship with your current partner or a past partner. And um, just really quick... The soul-based relationship qualities, the ego-based relationship qualities, and this relationship review comes from this amazing, oh, that's not the one. <laughs> that's not the one. I'll give you guys the link for where I saw this. This amazing man, I don't know him personally, 
but I came across this and I found it to be very profound, the things that he talked about. I just commented it on the YouTube link. I'll pop it up on the screen. There you go. Beliefnet.com, the author of this particular article, he's also written quite a few different things. I love the way he approached the topic, and that's why I'm sharing what he wrote, okay? So soul-based relationship review, you're to reflect on your relationship with your current partner or your past partner, okay? Um, The relationship that is keeping you feeling very hung up on things. Uh, Identify the qualities that you experienced in that relationship, the positive and the negative, Identify all of those qualities that kind of pop out in your mind and then determine which qualities serve you now and which ones do not. If that relationship ended, it could still gift you so much. If you can allow yourself to begin digesting what you evaluate, the results of your love evaluation, you can still learn so much. So after you do that, you're going to transform the beliefs that Enable the qualities you do not want and transform them into the beliefs that support what you do want. Okay. Um, And I think it's important for you to understand you're going to have to begin recognizing what you want. I think much of the problems we have with love is we don't even really know what we want. Like I've had conversations with my husband Um, the more that I've matured as a woman, the more I understand what I want from a relationship, what I want from a life partner. I want an equal. I want someone who is just as independent as me. I want an equal. I want someone who is equally as strong, equally as independent, equally as free thinking. I don't want a replica of me. But I want that same level of intensity and drive. It's been amazing. I've been experiencing some restructuring in my life, like things that you would think were were very pronounced and and would create so much hardship and issues. And and it hasn't at all. It's been a beautiful transition period over this past week, two weeks. Um, And I say that because when space was created... By, by the perceived loss, quote unquote, loss of something. My husband filled it with a space of empowerment, like to the degree that my workflow has not been affected in any way, shape or form. It's increased my productivity. It has increased my creativity. And more and more I'm seeing This man is every sense of the word, the concept, the feeling, an equal of mine. We're very different. My husband and I are very different. We are polar opposites, if we're going to be honest. (laughs) We're literally polar opposites, but we are equals. Oh, my God, it's powerful. It's so powerful to be in that kind of union, that kind of pairing together. So if you see qualities that you don't like, in that list that you make when you're you're determining what happened in your current or your past relationships. And it doesn't have to be romantic always, okay? It can be friendships too. 
whatever was negative for you, whatever you perceive to be a negativity, you're going to have to begin finding ways to transmute that, to alchemically change it into something that grows you. So the restructuring that's going on in my life, personal and professional. I am not as focused on what's going on with other people that are involved in that situation. I'm completely focused on how am I receiving this? What opportunities am I going to miss out on if I don't observe what's going on within me? Because of all of these things that are going on in my personal life, I'm learning I need to use my throat chakra in a more powerful way, not by booming out commandments, but by gently speaking the truth more often before it becomes uncomfortable. Communicating needs, not tiptoeing around anyone. And that doesn't mean I'm going to be calling you out on everything. That doesn't mean I'm going to keep pointing all these things out that I feel is a shortcoming. That means if I feel off, I'm going to be like, you know, something feels a little bit off. Do we need to talk? Is there, am I doing something? Do you have a need? Um, is there a conversation that we should have? I want to make sure that both our needs are accounted for. I want to make sure we both feel very supported. I want to make sure this is very balanced and very healthy. So I'm learning all of these things where it's like before, before restructuring my life, it's like, I think they're mad at me. I'll just be quiet. I just, I'll just stay out of their way. I'll just be quiet. Maybe they're going through something. Maybe, maybe they don't trust me enough to share with me the personal stuff they're going through. So let me just like, you know, take care of everything. So that way I don't interrupt whatever process they're in. And I recognize a lot of the issues that have um, happened in the connections that I have with other people. It's me overgiving and me creating imbalance. And it's not about blame because at any point they could have been my equal and said, Hey, Emmy, you've given too much already. You know, you don't have to give. I'm just going through something. Um, I'm just going through something has nothing to do with you. Don't worry about it. I don't know if I'm maybe affecting you in a negative way. I just want to make sure, you know, I'm just going through some stuff. I don't want to burden you with it. You know, that's a very healthy way to approach things. So it's not about blame. It's about recognition, recognition of the ways in which my toxicity, my trauma responses can sometimes be the soils that give birth to these toxic seedlings, right? Um, doesn't make me a bad person. Doesn't make anyone a bad person. It just gives you a, a very clear understanding of the possible root causations of the things you struggle through. When you begin to understand what's going on, you can then empower yourself with the seeking of solutions. I wanted to share this other information with you guys because this was really, really profound. I know we're kind of running out of time, but I want to share this with you. So nine signs nine signs. This is from the insider.com. Nine signs you are being manipulated. Okay. So using insecurities against you, 
that's a telltale sign. If they are using your fear of rejection, fear of abandonment, fear of criticism, mm, 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 okay, backhanded compliments. Be very, very weary of people who are low-key haters that express their hateration by excessively complimenting. I'm learning this. I'm learning that like for some people, they will only compliment things as a way to mask, to cover up their silent thoughts that are very negative, very like, ooh, yucky, right? So that's very manipulative. That's a red flag. That is a very red flag. Gaslighting. Number two is gaslighting, okay? When they make you question the reality of what they're doing to you, gaslighting can be done in a very passive-aggressive way, okay? Um, number three, recruiting others, where they are asking or, quote-unquote, sharing with others. They're venting to others what you did, failing to take accountability for what they did to cause you to react that way, right? To have that stance in the first place. Uh, number four, guilt as a tactic. Ooh, quote, emotional manipulators may use guilt against you to get what they want. For example, they may consistently remind you of past wrongdoings you've done or of nice things that they've done for you in the past. So you feel a sense of obligation to them. I did this, this, and this for you. Okay. So did you do those things for me because you love me? Or do you have some secret spreadsheet of all the things you've done for me so you, you can catalog and be able to better pick which one you're going to hold against me? So guilt as a tactic. Five, passive aggression. Gosh, I'm going to tell you, there's just something about passive aggressiveness. It just irks me. When someone is being passive aggressive, they will indirectly express their negative thoughts or feelings. For example, your partner might use sarcastic humor, give you the silent treatment, or refuse to have a constructive conversation about your conflict. That is passive aggressive behavior. Okay. Number six, moving goalposts. It's another manipulation tactic used by abusers that can make you feel unsteady and insecure in your relationship. The person will intentionally make it hard to please them by changing their requests and desires often. Or the moving goalposts can also be expressed in a way where you're very clear in your communication. You expect a, B, and C, and then they will respond with, you know, but I don't know why you're stressing me because, you know, W, R, F, K. What? <laughs> Wait, what? But I was, I, I said A, B, and C. You just never listen to me. I'm, I, I, I heard your A, B, C. I'm talking about W, F, K, R. And, and also S. And then you're like, wait, what's going on? And that's it. You're destabilized. You're destabilized. Like, I didn't ask you about that stuff. 
I'm speaking, speaking specifically about this. Why are you bringing all of this up? Oh, you never let me talk. You never let me this. You, that's manipulation. Bow out of that. Just bow out of that. Okay. Number seven, smoke screens. It's a tactic used when you raise a concern in your relationship. You may try to stand up for yourself and voice a concern, and then the person deflects from the, uh, from the spotlight you put on them. So then they put it on you. Oh my gosh, this is just really hitting too close to the home. <laughs> Let me just, I, I got to keep it moving. I got to keep it moving. Card number, not, not card. Number eight, violating boundaries. Okay. A manipulator might ignore when you say no, totally ignoring your boundaries. They might also completely ignore a question that you asked, helping you to reestablish the boundary. So the final one mirroring or matching. Okay. When their behavior seems forced or disingenuous for the sake of matching your own, that's manipulation. If they don't like someone, but they don't want to be found out and they know you like that person, like you're fond of that person be like, Oh, they're so sweet. Aren't they? When in their head, they're thinking, Oh God, I hate that person. That's a manipulator. Okay. So I want us to recognize, though, sometimes in our evaluation of our love, we will uncover the reality that we are actually the drama. <laughs> in the past, I've been the drama because I've had struggles with a specific type of situation. What type of situation is that? It's called reactive attachment. Reactive attachment is a condition found primarily in children, but it's usually uh, when, in, when it's in adults, it's unresolved from childhood. Uh, it's primarily found in children who may have had grossly negligent care and don't form healthy emotional attachments with primary caregivers. Okay. So attachment develops when a child is repeatedly soothed, comforted, and cared for, and when the caregiver consistently meets the child's needs. When that doesn't happen, it can create reactive attachment issues. So there is an actual disorder, reactive attachment disorder, RAD. Um, let's not self-diagnose, but let's recognize how this might have a little bit of a, a hint of influence in the way our relationships develop, okay? So the symptoms. They don't respond to others with a range of emotions that you'd expect. They are very closed off in their emotions. Either they don't show softness, they don't show compassion, um, they don't show vulnerability, they won't allow other people to see them cry, or they won't allow people to see them get angry. Um, sometimes that's all they show. Just it's not the full range. It's a very stunted, okay? Very stunted. They don't express emotions of conscience, such as remorse, guilt, or regret. If they get triggered, they will not allow themselves to express this guilt or remorse for hurting your feelings. It's kind of like, well, I mean, whatever. Um, they try. They they tend to not make eye contact. It's something that's very difficult. They avoid physical touch, especially from other people. Okay, from caregivers. Uh, they, they don't like that. They just, no, it makes them very reactive. 
They have tantrums or be more irritable, dis <clears throat> excuse me, disobedient or prone to argue um, than you'd expect for their age and situation. So in children, obviously tantrums, right? And just because you have tantrums does not mean you have reactive, <laughs> react, <laughs> I'm sorry. It doesn't mean, I don't know why I'm laughing. It's nervous laughter. It doesn't mean you have reactive attachment problems, okay? But when it's a consistent thing, you got to kind of question, like, is there something wrong with the food, the environment, or are they just being reactive in their attachment to you? They're realizing that they're becoming attached to you. It's triggering them. Um, for adults, this kind of expresses itself as you become the drama in the relationship. You begin to get attached, so you look for reasons to detach, to push them away, to drive them away, okay? <clears throat> Create arguments and things like that. Um, be unhappy or sad without a clear cause. For many of us, we are very unhappy and very sad without a clear cause. Also, for many of us, we didn't really form the healthiest of bonds with our caregivers, right? So does that mean I'm diagnosing you with RAD? No, no. There's varying degrees of this type or any type of condition. It doesn't mean there's a pathology. But when you begin to see this list, and I'll give you guys a link. It's from WebMD. It's just a really quick um, breakdown of this disorder. Um, <clears throat> you can begin to see how, okay, maybe there's something about me that I need to begin exploring. Um, maybe I need to see a mental health professional, or maybe I just need to become very well-versed in this subject matter so that I can better understand how to advocate for myself, how to help myself. Autopsychotherapy can be very, very powerful in the hands of those who are well-informed. Autopsychotherapy can free you from your childhood traumas, really. If you look up autopsychotherapy, if you look up <clears throat> Dr. Dabrowski's work on positive disintegration, those things will help you to understand yourself a little bit better. Uh, those things are really deeply connected with empaths. See, becoming an empath typically requires trauma early in your life. You develop your empathic abilities based on the level of trauma you experience. It's a survival skill. Hence, why RAD, RAD, is probably something that will be involved in your self-rediscovery. That's why positive disintegration is something you should probably really look into. Again, this is not to self-diagnose. This is to better understand some of the background of why you behave the way you do so you can begin modifying it to establish more peace in your life. You deserve to live in peace. It's not because you're broken. We don't do these things to find reasons to justify our belief that we are broken. Okay. <clears throat> so, um, let's see. I'm out of time. Well, hopefully you guys can go to that link and kind of read over it on your own. This was a very, very intense convo. <clears throat> it helped me to come to 
some conclusions about myself and my current cycle of learning. Um, it's a beautiful thing when we can share space and learn together. I learn just as much as you whenever we share space. So I'm ready to learn even more. I'm going to be heading over to my members area, the people who are part of my private ministry. If you'd like to be part of that, sign up at thesoulsanctuary.love. In about 15 minutes or so, I'm going to go live in that private space. And we're going to talk even more deeply in this. For all of the people who are part of the recurring contribution, get your questions ready. I'm going to answer as many as I can. And I want us to have a really raw and real conversation with each other, a conversation when we're, where we can empower ourselves just by witnessing the blossoming of everyone around us. That's a very beautiful thing. So guys, I'm going to get going. If you could please give this video a thumbs up, interact with it. If you're watching the recording, Please leave a comment, share your thoughts, share your experiences. Um, if you're listening to the podcast, download it. I want you to like it, rate it, wherever it is you're viewing me from. Please make sure that you interact and spread my work. It honors me so much when you share me with the people you love the most. So from the deepest depths of my heart's oceans. I love you guys, and I hope everyone has an amazing, amazing rest of your day. Bye, everyone.